Hey guys, it's George. For the first time in a long time, both Alex and myself are back in school. We will be taking a short break. Details to come. If you still need to get your Uncommon Comments fixed, check out our Patreon. For the low, low cost of $1 a month, you can get access to bonus content, extra stories, and our actual play podcast, Need to Escape. If you like theme parkour, you gotta check this out. Patreon.com slash Uncommon But until then, stay. And remember, nothing is real. Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Hunted, Part 2, written by George Plank. trying to put you out. Uh, then, then why are you hitting me? Do I need a reason? Well, not usually, no, but I thought today might be different. Well, this is what you get for thinking, then. If you would if you would just give me a moment, we can discuss battle strategy. Is that what this is? I thought you were just playing with your dolls on the table again. They're not dolls. They're miniatures. This one's you. Why am I a rock with googly eyes? Well, I was working with limited materials. Right, and the figure of Super Guy is... Well, that one's me, naturally. <laughs> I think not. That one's me. You can be Mr. Igneous over there. Joke's on you. I wanted to be the rock anyway. What was that? I said uh, the uh, Crygorgalon from my copy of Oxytrifenodextra Oslo-Numodexicurl's House of Fun is the uh, so-called beast that wants to eat your head. That's what I said. Is that the vaguely blurry shape near the edge of the table? Hmm? Oh, no, the Krygorgalon is the unknowable concept in the middle of the table. You can tell it's him because of the fresh source supermarket bag on his arm. The one on the edge is our greatest threat yet. Oh, and what's that? <sighs> Toby continued. I'm still not convinced he's over the whole male debacle. John, Toby continued isn't real. He can't hurt you. <laughs> he's come to hurt me! Oh, calm down. See, it's just the male. Oh. Oh? It's nothing. It's for you. Technically. What do you mean? Forward to John Doe, care of... Toby continued. Maybe we can return to sender. I don't think so. The address line just says, approaching rapidly. Oh, that's not good. Well, if anything, it seems like he wants you to read it. You think so? Sure. What's the worst that could happen? The banner was raised high so everyone in town could see. Not that they needed the reminder. The Festival of the Harvest was all that anyone could talk about. The idea was simple. The town was filled to the brim with farmers, ranchers, shepherds, as well as craftsmen and artisans. What better way to drum up sales of their goods than to put them on display in front of the whole town? The concept had been brought forward to the city council by the mayor. Where he got the idea, he wouldn't say. But for the small town, it was the perfect excuse for convention. Even the workers who had no goods to offer lent their services. The mayor commissioned a large stage to be built and encouraged anyone who could play an instrument or carry a tune to audition to provide entertainment. In the light of the early morning, the streets were already lined with tables and booths. 
A few would-be merchants had already arrived to arrange their goods into neat little visually appealing rows. Abigail led a small parade of a few sheep on a lead, with her father and Thomas in tow. Her father carried several wooden posts and some string to set up a makeshift pen for the sheep tableside. Thomas toted a wooden crook with a small pennant with the name of their family farm scrawled upon it. Abigail had several large satchels slung over her shoulders. She had been up late at night for the past few weeks, spinning wool around spools to sell at the festival. The spinning hadn't kept her awake. The screaming had. She didn't know if it came from somewhere outside or if she was the one yelling, but every time she closed her eyes and felt sleep trying to sink its claws into her, the alarm would raise, and so too would she, to be greeted by nothing but Thomas and her father snoring. If she was going to be up, she might as well make good use of it, so her satchels were filled to the brim with spools of wool, treated pelts, and swaths of woolen fabrics, as well as one other stowaway. It was quiet for the moment, but she could feel its desire to communicate radiating from within. She knew that she didn't want to take out the wolf's skull in public, but she didn't want to leave it at home, not where someone else might be able to snatch it up. It was far too important for that, so, for the time being, she placated herself by rubbing the coarse and rough edges of the small red tablet against the pads of her fingers. She did well to palm it so that it could scarcely be seen to an outside observer, but at times she gripped it tight enough to leave its strange indents in her skin, and occasionally some of the red pigmentation would leave behind traces on her hand. Her father had their table number on a piece of paper that they'd received from the mayor. It wasn't a bad location, all things considered. It was a corner booth at the intersection of the main street, which allowed for ample room to set up the pen. The sheep found a patch of grass they had not previously grazed upon, so they were contented to stay in place for as long as needed. Abigail looked around. Just one block up was the main stage, so at least she would be able to enjoy the sound of the musicians as they played throughout the day. Around them, apiculturalists and dairy farmers were setting up their goods. The blocks must have been organized by different types of goods, so theirs was designated for animal goods, in particular. Looking across the intersection to her right, she could see that the next block was dedicated to artisans. A cobbler was setting out some of his finest shoes. Next to him, a woodcarver had set up a small stage to hold his newest marionettes. Across from them both, an elderly woman was still hard at work on her creations. She had rows upon rows of dolls, some made with corn husks, others stitched together when filled with cotton, lentils, or some other stuffing. The only exception to this rule was the booth set up directly in front of the church. There was a table, but Abigail didn't think it was going to see much use, as directly in front of it a crude wooden pulpit had been constructed. She silently hoped that the music would drown out whatever they had to say. She remembered that day a few weeks ago. What the man had said to her had kind of stuck. Obviously, he had no idea what he was talking about, but since then he had started amassing a following amongst the locals. She had seen it when she had walked over to pay the Worthingtons a visit. A crowd had started amassing before he had even come out. Dozens upon dozens of people huddled together in the early autumn air to listen to what he had to say. Abigail wasn't nosy by nature, but she turned her ear to hear what they had to say. Can you believe that someone like that has been living among us this entire time? Someone ought to do something before it gets out of hand. Reverend Suskin knows what he's talking about. I just know... A small group near the rear of the convocation stopped talking when they spotted Advocale listening in. They subtly nudged the others, and slowly the group fell silent. Abigail continued on her course, but she could feel their eyes staring her down with their derisive looks. Again, she looked at the space where the pulpit now sat. She noticed several times etched into a piece of wood. Good. Now she knew when to make herself as scarce as possible. Thomas plunged the crook into the ground, and the pennant unfurled, announcing to everyone that they were in business. 
Hey there, Ernest. Abigail's father looked up to meet the jovial gaze of August Bluto. His fortune had been good since he repatriated. He had been a first to claim a homestead in the new settlements, and unlike the others who just wanted a small patch of the new world to call their own, he crossed the river and claimed everything else. Morning, August. What do we owe the pleasure? Do I need a reason to visit my favorite shepherd and his family? Ah, and this number in the purple cloak must be Abigail. Cassius has told me so much about you. You know, Ernst, I hear that your little Gale is sweet on my boy. <laughs> Maybe we should start discussing a dowry. Abigail's father took one sidelong glance at her for just long enough to see the look of disgust and horror on his daughter's face. They didn't have too much to their name, but what they did have in spades was dignity, and far too much self-respect to allow this to go on for much longer. Well, why don't we ask the young lady what she thinks? He beckoned Abigail to his side. Dear, what do you think about young Master Cassius? I try not to if I can. And if you were engaged to be Mrs. Bluto? I would probably throw myself off the cliffs before anyone would have the opportunity to call me that. The pair turned to August, who regarded them with a new kind of seething hatred altogether. His face was bright purple and his eyes bulged like they were being rent from their sockets. He opened his mouth to try and respond, but the only sound that came out was a sputtering that sounded like the last coals of a dying fire. When he finally found the words to express himself, he chided Abigail for her brazenness. You should know your place, young lady. I never... And you never will, retorted Ernest. There are lots of other booths. Why don't you go look at them for a while? August started sputtering, but paused as he tore the pennant off the hook. As he stomped away, his sputtering sounded more and more like he was trying to convince himself that he won that interaction. Ernest Wills brushed his mustache down as it had become bristled during the argument. Abigail bent over to pick up the flag. The moisture from the ground had muddled some of the letters, so instead of reading Will's Kin Farms, the farm name was a mix of the two words. Abigail, her father began, although he wasn't quite sure how to broach the subject effectively. She smiled weakly and said, Thank you. There was so much that they wanted to say to each other, but neither of them knew the right words to express it. He nodded and looked over to Thomas, who was currently more occupied with more pressing matters. He had constructed a cat's cradle from an extra piece of yarn and was working on a particularly difficult configuration. The tablet in Abigail's hand pulsed with a strange frequency, and from within the satchel she still had slung over her shoulder, a low growling was emitted. Neither her father nor Thomas heard anything. Only she knew what would come next. I'm going to see if I can get the materials to make another one, she volunteered, pointing to the pennant. Surely with this many artists, there's bound to be some extra fabric and paint around. Her father grunted affirmatively, and she excused herself. She slipped through the ever-growing crowd of people, past the jugglers and entertainers, past all the booths and away from the city entirely. She slipped into a grove of trees where she could have a moment of privacy to herself. She pressed the tablet into her hand, intentionally leaving behind indentations from the inscription, before fishing the wolf's skull from her satchel. It was stripped white by the sun and insects. Any semblance of flesh had long since been wiped clean from the perpetually grinning face of the beast. She pressed her hand into the smooth area of bone between its hollow eyes, and for a moment, as if etched in fire, the indents on her hand left behind trails of glowing light on the head of the wolf. She propped it up on a tree branch so she could stand and look at it. I have been waiting. 
I know, but I couldn't take you out there. And why not? A girl talking to a wolf's skull might draw a little attention. I am I do not exist with your petty definitions. I am something much greater. Far beyond. I know. We've been over this. I, I'm sorry. I was just worried that someone was going to see. Good. Let them see. You will show them my true face. You will deliver them from their lives into a greater calling. From this town, the world shall come to know of us and what I am capable of. Yes, you said that before. But I still don't fully understand. Why me? Why you? Why anyone? I could say that you were chosen because you put the good of the flock before your own. That you were brave in the face of adversity. But that would be flattery, and I do not deal in such maxims. The sheep called out to you when you responded, or do you not recall? Much of that day was a blur. From the moment she had killed the wolf until she was finally able to shut her eyes that night, her heart had been pumping so much adrenaline that she might as well have seen it in a play, though that was unlikely as the town declared acting the profession of hypocrites and banned any sort of performance before she was born. It was only in that elevated state that she could have ever been able to scale the cliff face as boldly as she had. Only then would she even consider plunging her hand into the clay and mud to retrieve the tablet in the first place. But when she first heard the skull speak, it started off as a hum, like a buzzing of a bee that grew louder and louder as she approached. Her fingers were in her pocket, and as she made the habit of doing recently, she was pressing the tablet deep into her palm. Then the voice came as a whisper. It spoke in a tongue that she dared not comprehend, but it was talking. She had fallen to her knees, awestruck by this development. Surely, she thought, her days were numbered. She would be driven out or deemed unfit for society. She started to weep before the skull said something that finally resonated with her. Arise. She looked up, uncertain if she had truly heard what she believed she did, or if her condition was already worsening. Arise, Abigail Wills, and greet the future. That was then, and now Abigail felt that she didn't have any new answers. She didn't know what to call it. It didn't have a name that existed in a physical tongue. It said that its name would be given in time. I grow hungry, Abigail. You don't have a stomach anymore. I am not the wolf. Right, right. How could I forget? I think I have some bread back at the house. Bread, nor meat, nor any food created for physical matter can sustain me. I hunger for something you alone cannot provide. What should I do? Place the skull on your head. It was not the strangest request she had received, but something about this felt different, like she wouldn't be able to come back from crossing this threshold. She reached her hands out to take the skull from the branch. Behind her, a twig snapped. She spun on her heel and cast a glare that caused the deer that had been curious to see what the commotion was to flee back into the woods. Abigail's heart was in her throat. She thought for a moment that she had been discovered. She didn't have time to breathe a sigh of relief because another sound was coming from just off to the side. She turned just quick enough to see Cassius run in from the side, snatch the skull, and put some distance between the two of them. 
Abigail couldn't believe what had just happened. And from the look on his face, Cassius couldn't quite figure it out either. He looked at her dead on, like a doe caught in the light of a lantern. Cassius? Give it back. Hearing his name snapped him out of his momentary stupor. A small smirk crossed his face, and he started to run at full sprint back towards the town. No, 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 this can't be happening. Abigail followed suit. She bunched up her dress in her hands and gave chase. Cassius was always just a little bit out of reach. She didn't know where he was heading. Her only goal was to get the skull back before it was too late. Far more people had shown up to the Harvest Festival than she had imagined. Hundreds of people congested the already small dirt pathways of the settlement. Cassius, with his big frame, was able to press through the crowd of people with ease. By comparison, Abigail struggled to get through, though after a while, as people began parting the way to see just what Cassius Bluto, fine, upstanding gentleman about town, could be doing with a wolf skull in hand. The crowd surged now. Everybody was now headed in the same direction, and Abigail could unfortunately guess where this was going. She heard the staunch vocalizations of Reverend Suskin before she approached the intersection. Be not tempted by those that seek to upset the balance. They know who has the true power and would do anything to distract you from it. The band, playing some borrowed instruments, did nothing to drown out the oration. Their fifes and drums were no match for the strange man's lungs. Cassius leapt onto the stage and held aloft the skull. I have seen Abigail Wills in the woods conversing with some demon. A silence fell over the crowd before every person turned to their neighbor to mutter something. Abigail tried to press her way through, but the crowd was even more unyielding than before. Some people tried to grab her by the arm, but she narrowly evaded their attacks. Another voice rose from the crowd. Let's hear the boy out! Reverend Suskin climbed onto the stage with far less grace than Cassius had bounded. What's your name, son? I am Cassius Bluto, the crowd stirred. You must be August's boy, a fine lad. His father ties very generously. Let's hear what he has to say. Cassius pointed the skull at where Abigail now stood in the crowd. Abigail Wills is a witch. I saw her in the woods, talking familiarly with this skull. Then she banished a deer from her presence with a single glance. What is this nonsense? Abigail's father chimed in. My daughter is no witch. You all know her. She wouldn't hurt a fly. Uh, no, I wouldn't know about that. August had joined his son on stage and responded directly to Ernest's objection. The only time I see that daughter of yours is when she is leading those sheep through the town square. For all we know, she might be leading them into the woods to use them in some blood ritual. What the hell are you talking about? Ernest tried to retort, but his voice was drowned out by the sound of a hundred other voices. Maybe she is sacrificing the sheep. She has never been social. She probably turned Cassius down because she's married to Satan. A hand clasped firmly on her shoulder, and though she tried to fight it, she was powerless against the will of the entire town. She was dragged to the front of the stage. Cassius leaned down and smiled at her. You should have said yes by the river. What is going on up there? Her father saw as she had been taken to the front. In a massive display of strength, he pushed his way forward. Other townspeople tried to stop him. He punched one man before another jumped on him, and then another, and then another, until he went down. With all the people, he was unable to see the particularly sharp rock on the ground near his feet. When the three men got off of him, he didn't rise. 
Their hands were coated in blood. All was quiet for a moment before a woman nearby let out a scream. The same scream that Abigail had heard many times before in her sleeping hours. She felt the grip on her shoulder loosen as everyone had to reconcile what they had just witnessed. Cassius was still hunched over her, and dangling just above the edge of the stage was the skull. In one swift motion, Abigail snatched the skull out of Cassius's grip. Use it! The skull commanded. Abigail didn't know what it was referring to, but she also knew exactly what it meant. Her body moved swiftly, as if it was a motion she had used a million times before. With the tablet in hand, she pushed out with all her might, and as if struck by a massive wind, she parted the crowd, knocking over bystanders. The residual shockwave caused even the people behind her on stage to fall over. Run for it, Thomas! She shouted before running out of the crowd and away from the town. She didn't see if Thomas even heard what she had said. She knew him, and she knew that he was an excellent hider. He would be fine. Besides, it was her they wanted. After what they saw, she didn't think they were going to let her off with a warning. We must stop this succubus! She will destroy us unless we destroy her first! The entire town rose to its feet and quickly gave chase. For a moment, Abigail considered running home and locking herself in, hoping that they would just go away. Quickly, into the forest. Abigail didn't think twice about it. She ducked into the dense outcropping and prepared for the worst. She was immediately assailed on both sides by trees. She didn't really know, but she had an idea where she was going. Getting there would prove to be more of an issue than she originally thought. The woods were like a maze, and the more turns she made, the louder the sound of the mob became. It was like a dream she had, weeks before any of this. The sound of their feet pounded against the forest floor while they gave chase. The sound of many footsteps echoed against the dense pillars of wood. Slowly, the sound of hundreds of feet was superseded by the sound of the footfalls of only one massive entity. And unlike her dream, the giant footsteps weren't coming from behind her. They were coming from within. Though the ground still shook with every step, there was yet another sound entering her range of hearing. This one was a roar like thunder, and her eyes stung from all the salt in the air. She emerged from the woods into the clearing with the cliff face overlooking the sea. She turned around, ready to run back the way she came, but staring her in the face was Cassius Bluto. Soon he was joined by his father, Reverend Suskin, and more townspeople. He slowly walked towards her, and in turn, she slowly backed up until her heels were against the cliff's edge. The entire town was here with her now in the clearing. We have you now, Gail. Give up. Abigail smiled for a moment before she started laughing. <laughs> oh, Cassius. You don't realize. You weren't chasing me. She took the skull and placed it over her own head. I was hurting you. The skull covered most of her face in a brilliant white mask. Her eyes closed for a moment before reopening with a fiery glow. She extended her hands and a veil of darkness swept over the collective. A ring of fire encircled them all in a pen. The sun was blocked out by a massive silhouette, and though some looked up, none could see the face of their shepherd. She extended her arm outward. I will shear the wool of the world so you all may see. Everyone in attendance's eyes rolled back in their heads as they looked skyward. When they came to, most dropped to their knees. Others raised their hands in exultation. We will turn to you for guidance. 
From inside her skull, Abigail heard a familiar voice. You have done well, my children. See? Nothing happened. Yeah, I guess you're right. Let's get back to planning. Oh, hello, Matthias. Matthias, no. Drop Super Guy's head. Thank you. Huh. You know, I guess that's the funny thing about prophecies. You just never know how they're going to play out. A beast rose to the table and devoured the head of your representation. I guess we really don't have to worry about anything. Not Toby, not the series of eyes floating in the corner, and not the beast, right, Jane? Oh. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It is written and recorded by Alex Vitale and George Plank. Our theme song was written by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Special thanks to our patrons, including Nolson and Mel, who contributed at the $5 level. For $1 a month, you can get access to all of our bonus content, including the Common Area and our actual play mini-series, Need to Escape. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Stay, and remember, nothing is real. Thank you.